Good morning. Our scripture reader is not in front of you, so I'll jump in and I think I'm capable. Uh, as we open God's Word today, we're, we're going through a series in August called By Faith, so we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5. And outside in the lobby, we put together this little display saying yes to the next generation. Uh, for the years I've been doing ministry, youth and kids ministry, people will often come up and say, hey, do you maybe need like another hand or another person? And the answer is yes, and always and forever until Jesus comes back. Um, and even in our story, there's interns, there's older discipling the younger, there's constant need for discipleship. There's constant need, especially for some of you educators, coaches, leaders. There's always, you're on the lookout for the next talent, for a uh, next group of students. And so as our church continues to grow, and as there's more souls that say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus, that's an opportunity for you as you grow. Uh, part of our vision that Jesus prayed for the church is to know him first, then grow, and then go out and, and be a youth leader or a kids ministry small group leader. So there's a lot of prep, a lot of planning that goes into that and training to set you up for success. The little job descriptions are out, posted for youth and kids and even some prep and cleanup. We invite our church to grab those and pray because we're a praying church and we know that ultimately uh, God's drawn you here, saved you and gonna grow you. And so grab a card, even if you're like, hey, I'm gonna pray for this position to be filled. And, and maybe you're one that's considering jumping in and, and serving in that role. So that's out to the left, um, on your way out or way in. Next week, that'll be there all month. Grab a card. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll return to 2 Kings chapter 5, and the scripture will be on the screen. If you don't have one, um, we'll read together. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 16 reads, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. She worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Verse 3. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me 
and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So then, all the waters of Israel, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But this servants came, but his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but Elisha, he refused. And jumping ahead to verse 19. Elisha said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the name of Elisha, the man of God, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Verse 21. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well, my master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and he put them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. Verse 26 he said to him, Did not my heart go when the men turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we open your word to get today together, we pray that your spirit would give us wisdom, give us humility, and that your spirit would fill us, opening our eyes to see how we might love those, love those who are our, our enemy, our family, our friends, as you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we saw last week, series by faith where Abraham got to have this insight into what God was about to do, about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their pride. Here, there's a prideful man. On the outside, he looked like the ideal man, warrior, general in the army, conqueror of nations, of people, so affluent, 
It's the top of his game, the top of his career. Then he had leprosy. And his wife's slave says, oh man, if you could just go to Samaria, there's a prophet, he could heal you. He's like, before Google, he's like, yes, I can be healed. Is there a cure for leprosy? Answer comes back, in Samaria, there's a prophet, find him. Before Google, there was a slave girl, and she told him where to go. And last week and this week, we've been looking at this question, how bad does it have to get before God brings his justice? Why do we have the problems we have in the world? How do we account for all of the evil that is done to us or that we do to other people? God's word has told us last week and this week that there's not a legislative problem, it's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. The whole human race has had a sin problem. And as my, when my daughter likes to look over my shoulder and read my sermon as I go over it, Saturdays she read that line and she says, oh, it's a sin problem, not a skin problem. And she kind of giggled. She's like, that's cute, Dad. And I'm like, I know, that's why I put it in there. Hopefully it'll stick a little bit longer than 1230 today when you're eating lunch or thinking about the next thing you're going to do. It's not a legislative, a law, elected official, counseling. It's a sin problem. It's not a skin problem. Everyone's looking for another thing out there to hide what's really going on in here, in our hearts. Sin is anything we say, think, or do that's against God. That's pretty broad, but it's also very specific because it pretty much says we're all sinners and we sin all the time, which is very unfortunate for us because if we're separated from God, a just God who has wrath, then, then we're going to face that one day. Unless, unless, of course, there's one who could pay that in our place. And until sin is dealt with, murder, lying, racism, stealing, self-worship, not just an abortion issue, it's self-worship. I don't want my life to be inconvenienced. I want to still party and live however I want to live. I don't want a child to get in the way. And for those that have committed lying, stealing, murder, committed abortion, you, there's a pain and there's hope, there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's healing. That is so amazing that the gospel not only says, no, that's wrong, the gospel says there's a better way and there's a better one that will heal you and restore you. And this text is one of the most wonderful illustrations in all of scripture. That's why we read it and I'm going to highlight a couple things through it to help us see the gospel, that by faith we're saved, by grace through faith, Paul tells us in Ephesians. And it's by faith we can see and trust and follow God. First, we see out of these three things in this story that Naaman is fatally ill and he needs a cure desperately. Second, in Samaria there's a prophet who gives a simple, free, but exclusive cure. And third, how do we know he was cured? How do we know it's not just some sideshow act that, that needed some kind of revival and, and reattention to the God of Israel? How is he really cured? How do we know that? And lastly, we see the call for us to be known by our love like the slave girl was known by her love. So first off, Naaman is ill and in need of a cure. When Jesus showed up, people were ill and they were in need of a cure. Oftentimes, there was even lepers that would come to him and he'd heal them. In the Gospels, when a sick person would approach Jesus, he would deal with them on two levels. One time there was a paralyzed man whose friends took him to the top of a, of a house because they couldn't get in. It was packed full of people and they ripped the roof off 
lowered their friend down who was paralyzed, thinking, man, Jesus is going to restore his legs. And Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. In the height, the climax, everyone's excited, and they're like, Jesus, his legs don't work. Someone going to tell him, or should we, should we tell him? Like, there's a reason we lowered him down. He's paralyzed. Exactly. Jesus is saying, it's not that I'm not concerned with your physical suffering. I'm moved, and I'm touched that you need legs. But first, let's deal with the inside, the sinful problem. Then I'll deal with the outside, the physical problem. And then he says, rise, get your mat, go home, right? To another paralyzed guy. He says, rise, walk. Is it not easier to forgive sin? But so you know that the Son of Man is here, I forgive his sins, and now he can have his legs restored. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my son, do you know what's really going on? Do you know what's really paralyzing you? I'm going to heal you here, but do you know what's really paralyzing you? Do you know what's really killing you? That sin in your heart. Jesus is saying that general brokenness in the world, the outer brokenness, is the result of the inward underlying problem of sin. That physical brokenness becomes the occasion, the opportunity to slow us down enough to see how prideful and self-absorbed we are that, that we really do have an inside sin problem. It's not just the outside that maybe there's tension every once in a while with your spouse or a coworker or your boss. And no, no, that's their problem, not mine. I'm really perfect. And I'm awesome. Once you get hurt enough or deep enough, it slows you down enough, you finally realize okay, maybe I have like half of a problem, but they have like 10 problems, okay? If, we, if we're honest and want to count this up, God is dealing with Naaman through the whole story about one thing. This one thing, he, he takes the whole story to get through to Naaman because God could have healed him the moment Naaman walked in the door of the king's palace with the letter. He could have, boom, you're in Israel. The God of Israel is here, you're healed. Elisha could have cured Naaman the moment Naaman walked up, as Naaman mentioned, why didn't he come out and wave his hand and get a circus and kill the fattened calf and have a whole barbecue and celebrate what God's going to do? He could have done that. You're cured. But again and again, God and Elisha do everything they can to insult Naaman, insult his pride. He's met with refusals. He's met with these humbling requests that frustrate him. And experiences where Elisha won't even come to meet Naaman. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. Like it's your nation's enemy at a time of peace. You don't want to disrupt the peace. That's why the king's freaking out. He's like, man, we've enjoyed peace. These guys keep coming and raiding and killing from the north, from Syria, down into Israel. I don't want it now. I'm, now we're going to go to all out war because I can't heal him. And I got a letter from the king saying, heal him. Like who, who told that slave girl to say anything at that point, the king would have lost, like, who is this slave girl and what is she saying? She can't talk about those things. We're enjoying peace. This is going to ruin our economic plan. Naaman shows up 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. One of the most important people in the world, Elisha, sends a messenger to him. You're not even worth my time. That's hugely disrespectful, but in that culture, so foundational was their hospitality. It doesn't matter if, you're to your, if it's your enemy or your mother-in-law. You welcome him in, you give him tea, you cook him a meal. And Elisha's like, yeah, here's, a, here's my intern. He's got a little message for you, just real simple. 
what? He goes away in rage. What are they doing? They're going after that one thing, his pride. After his self-sufficiency, you think you're all that and you have all of this accolade and acquisition and resources and name. God is saying, no, you're, you're actually nothing. God is saying, look at this leprosy that you have on the outside is actually an internal leprosy that's been eating away at love and wisdom. If the outer physical leprosy becomes an opportunity for you to deal with the inner leprosy, the spiritual sin, you can be saved. This is such an amazing and wonderful picture of God's grace towards someone that was God's enemy and attacking God's people. Naaman's fatally ill, not just of this physical leprosy on the outside, but inside the sin leprosy that's tearing apart his heart, this pride. Because the treatment, we know it's pride because the treatment consists of humbling requests and humiliating him in front of his servants and his whole entourage, saying, no, your, your money's not worth anything here. You're not worth anything here. It's killing him. As I was going to Cuesta, I'd often tune into these weird radio stations and find these pastors preaching, and I have no clue who they are or what they're... But this guy was sharing the story that stuck with me, and he went to these two boarding schools in the same part of town, drawing the same type of kids, same intellect. And, and uh, one of them, he went and spoke, and afterwards, at both schools, he had a Q&A time. And one of them, they were just very just flippant and like whatever, and asked these weird questions to try and trip him up. Like, you know, who did Cain marry? And can God make a rock so big he can't lift? And it was just kind of like, who cares? Like, what, we're talking about God and his love for you. And to share the gospel of the whole world. And you're asking, like, you're missing the point. And he goes to the next school, just down the road, and it's a school, same deal. But in that next school, there were kids that had cerebral palsy. But those kids were different. And he goes on to say that they'd ask questions like, why did God let this happen to me? Why am I suffering? Why am I in so much pain? And, and it was challenging for him because he'd never been in a setting like that. And the kids would take like two minutes, if you've ever been around someone with that, disease, it'd take two minutes for him to ask a simple question, so he'd have to be patient, and he said, it struck him, he says that the way we all are by nature is like the first school, absolutely natural breathing, we grow up self-sufficient, and when people try and teach us right from wrong or about God, we're like, yeah, anyways, like, I know God loves me, but so does everyone else and my mom, so that's fine. I'm going to live how I want to live, and as long as God doesn't tell me what to do that kind of gets in the way, he can still love me and be there when I need him, but I'm going to live however I want to live. We all grow up that way, and he says, but those kids in the second boarding school had suffered, and therefore they weren't shallow. They weren't superficial because they weren't proud, because they knew that life was hard, and they knew that they were owed anything. Their outer brokenness had allowed the gospel to come in deep enough to penetrate, acknowledging there was an in, inner sinful problem. There's a spiritual issue. So how does pride kill love and wisdom? How do we open our hearts up to the inside and let the gospel penetrate deep into that sinful part of us, our soul? Like leprosy, it eats up love and wisdom. Pride and self-centeredness, self-sufficiency says, I can handle it. And it destroys wisdom. You see that in, in your kids when they're trying to build Legos and they have the small one, they're trying to put it on a big one or vice versa. And you're like, dude, you're not, 
It's just not working out. And they're like, no, I got it. <sighs> and they try harder. And you're like, yeah, I, I did that last week at work, actually. I did the same thing. And, you know, you, you have that or you're working on a truck and you're like, yeah, I, tried, I still tried to force it. And the wisdom was lacking because that same stubborn pride shot up again. You're like, ah, oh, it's frustrating. Like Naaman, we are fatally ill and in need of a cure. Suffering brings us face to face and reveals that there's an outward problem that's evident, but we can hide it sometimes with makeup or masks. But inside our heart, our sinful issue, that is only healed and cured by the gospel. And that's the true leprosy that's killing not only Naaman, but all of us. And so he goes to Samaria to the prophet, and he's too busy. Elisha, he's, and, and he's also just doing this intentionally to kind of get under Naaman's skin. He sends Gehazi, his intern, and God deals with Naaman, insulting him at every point, flattening his pride, going after the roots, that self-esteem, and ripping them out of the ground. And the gospel comes just the way it came to Naaman as it comes to us. It insults us. The gospel is like a dried pineapple, so sweet and delicious, but with chili powder on the, on the outside. So the first bite, your senses are lit up, and you're some of you like it, like me, I've learned to like it. I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, this is a yummy candy. And I bit into that and I was like, this is not how I remember pineapple tasting. My mouth is on fire, my eyes are watering, and I can't breathe. My throat's swelling up. Like, this is not normal. And then after the symptoms subside, you're like, there's the pineapple. Mmm. Right? And normally, I'm like, hey, get away the pain and that harsh chili powder stuff. Just give me a bag of that dried pineapple because God loves me and everything's good. But it's the true gospel is like a dried pineapple with a bunch of chili powder on top. You're a wretched, prideful, self-absorbed, self-sufficient sinner. And God has to destroy all of that before he can create and give you the sweetness and the savory. I'm by my grace, through faith you're saved. And, and it's that self-image that we've created that we need him to destroy so that then we can see what he's building, how he's making us look like Christ. And that's a giant word called sanctification. That simply you're growing to look like Christ. That God has to destroy, clear the rubble. It's like I'm not going to do any kind of remodel, forget in California leaving a wall so you can get around some permit issues. We're destroying all of it. Nothing is redeemable and we're building fresh, brand new from the ground. And then he can create something for us to look at. And that's why it's intentional. It's not a self-image, it's a self-view that we see what he's making new in you. So we have a lot in common as we see with the pagan culture and with Naaman. Following these three ways that God puts in front of Naaman the things he must do to be healed and it's tough for a pagan man to swallow. In every case, they challenge his old proud way of thinking about himself and about life. The first thing Elisha says is the simple cure, just wash. The simplicity offends him as a pagan as it does us. In every religion, there's something sensational, elaborate, dramatic, impressive, complex. There's these mysterious figures and beautiful garments in Eastern religion and mysterious and complicated rituals and speaking mysterious languages and all these things you have to figure out that's leaked into Western Christians. It's like, hey, you want to be baptized? Cool. 12-week class. Make sure you keep the certificate. You want to be a member? Great. We have a 48-week class. Come, you have to know all systematic theology. Make sure you bring the certificates. Your test date will be scheduled. We have three rotating tests, so no cheating, okay? And then we'll figure it out if, if you're good enough. 
It's like, wait, Jesus said go and sin no more. I think that's a pretty big like, request from our Lord. And then the church was started and they said, hey, repent and believe. And he didn't say come back three weeks from now. He said, hey, there's some river, right? we'll just baptize you, let's do it. And then there's fruit. And that's where the whole New Testament you read about, there's always, hey, are you, are you really following Jesus? Or do you just want a better medical practice or doctor practice? And that's how you network because we didn't have Facebook back then. And so you'd come to the, the town meeting, the church. But Naaman's offended by the simplicity. I just have to wash? That means anyone can wash. That means it's not about my ability. That means it's not about what I can do or what I have done or what I need to change. And every time I share the gospel, it's a typical response. Really? By grace? Yeah. You don't deserve it. And God's going to give you an inheritance and a new life. Maybe, maybe I, I, you know, I know some... I, I could go to a counselor. I can do some of the demolition so that it's not so messy when God shows up. You know, if he's going to rebuild something, I kind of, there's a trailer out back. I, at least I could take that off the property before he gets, no, you can't do anything. You're just going to mess up your life more. Stop. It's by grace through faith. And this is a typical response. It's too simple. And they're insulted. When we're honest, it's like, that's insulting. Especially the longer you've lived. When you share the gospel with a child, they're like, yeah, please. Like, I'm a mess. I'm a kid. I'm trying to learn. I'll follow Jesus. But adults, 30s, 40s, you've got used to being pretty prideful and self-sufficient. And all of a sudden, God's like, yeah, you've just been messing things up. Can, can I take over now? They're like, eh. Maybe we can meet and talk about this partnership. Like, you know, kind of in my mind, it goes back to the greatest showman, little dance musical, like, negotiation. How about 15%, God? Take 50% of the cut, we'll have a partnership, it'll be good. That's how we do it. And that's why Naaman's like, whoa, 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 you want all of me? I thought I was just going to like give you a bunch of money and you're going to heal me. And you're going to be this rich religious person and I was going to be this conquering warrior healed leprosy guy. And I'll go back to Syria and we'll still fight each other. It'll be good. But the free cure, he says, it's simple. Anyone can do it and it's free. And Elisha didn't even come to him. Do you know how much that got under his skin? He freaks out and he's like, we're out of here. Why didn't Elisha come and do this whole pompous thing and put it in the KSBY and, and get the whole Sacramento Bee to cover it and we're going to go live on YouTube? Why didn't we do all that? He just wants me to go wash in the Salinas or the Atascadero Lake. That's what we wanted to do. Like, that's where you want me to wash. Because I'm from, like, Northern California or Oregon, and they got some amazing rivers. Like, it's really nice up there. And the rivers flow all the time. It's not like some dude said, hey, you can have the runoff from my well and figure out how to keep the fish in the ecosystem, but it's going to be nasty. Like, that's the, that's the Jordan. And if you read it in the Bible, there's a reason why God's people kept parting it to walk through it. Like, it wasn't pretty to look at, certainly wasn't appealing to get into. Naaman's like, really? That's stinky? I'm not getting in the stinky river. That's, I have other rivers. Why not? There's other ways to God. And it's free. Anyone can get in it. And he's like, I can make this prophet so wealthy. I can make the temple, I can make this God so wealthy, everyone will want to come. The problem is, Romans 3.23, what God is telling Naaman, what Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 is there is no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul's saying what God's saying, when it comes to the cure, there's no difference between the most upstanding citizen and the hardened criminal. How can anybody say that, says the pagan? How can you say that there's no difference? And for the religious person, their pride comes in and says, yeah, come on, like, I'm better than that guy because he has a felony or because that guy's murdered somebody. 
I've never committed adultery. I'm like pretty close to Jesus, okay? Like that guy's at least 10 steps back. And the irreligious person says the same thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. It's my body, my choice, however I want to define it. Whoever I think my pronoun should be, I get to say whatever I want, do whatever I want, drink how much I want, drive into people with my car as fast as I want. I get to do whatever I want. It's my body. I get to make up my mind. And they're both their own Savior. They're both their own Lord. And they're both defining what reality is based on their terms. And both kinds of people are eaten up with the same spiritual leprosy by their wisdom, defining their love and the limits thereof, and are eaten up by that leprosy on the inside. It doesn't matter what you've attained. It doesn't make a difference what you've done or haven't done. And so Naaman's offended by that that it's free and anyone can believe and be saved. And he's offended by the exclusivity of the cure. Why can't there be any river? Why can't all rivers lead to God? Why can't all paths lead to God? In pagans, like our Western culture, you believe whatever you want. Every mountain has a God. Every river has a God. Why does it just have to be this way? Why do we have to come to God through Jesus? The same questions we're asking today. In other words, What about the morally disabled? What about the person who's made a mess of their life and is now on their deathbed? What about the child? You've been exclusive. But the gospel is so beautiful and it says anyone can come, good or bad, strong or weak, as long as they're humble. That's why as we've defined a disciple, Jesus told us to make the disciple, so what is that? A humble servant committed to following Christ. Where are you going to serve? The Holy Spirit will tell you. But have you humbled yourself? That's the, that's the key right there. Every time throughout the old and the new, you meet with God or God's prophet or Jesus, and there's humility that takes place. Exodus 15, when people came to poison water, a tree was cut down and thrown into the water. So they said, the Lord heals us. Jesus Christ was cut down and thrown into the justice of God. God's wrath was upon Jesus. And when the Last Supper, he took him in and said, okay, this is my body as he gave him the bread. And he said, this is the cup, my new covenant. Because he knew he was going to go out into the garden and God was going to give him that fifth cup, the cup of God's wrath. And he was going to drink it. So then he tells the disciples, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? What are we talking about? It's Jesus. He was the one cut down for us. He was the one hung on the tree in our place. He was the one who rose again to give us new life. So first, Naaman is fatally ill and in need of a cure. Second, Samaria prophet gives him a simple, free, and exclusive cure. And thirdly, how do we know he was cured? How do we know that he was truly cured? He dips seven times on the seventh time. He comes up and his skin is like baby Boy, pink, flushed with color, free from blemish, not even a zit going through puberty. Like, amazing. All the sermons are like, whoa, whoa, Nehemiah, look at you, man. Look at fresh. There's no scars from battle. It's like, man, that's amazing. And do you think he went away like the lepers did that never came back to Jesus? No, he went to Naaman's like, hey, how much do I owe you? It worked. I was doubting you. That Tascadero Lake was pretty gross. You know, that, that river is nasty, but hey, I actually don't smell. How much do I owe you? And Naaman Naaman offers that. Elisha says no. 
And the interesting thing is Naaman doesn't withdraw from the world and doesn't just want to seek understanding the gospel for himself in a private way. He goes back to Elisha, offers and says, okay, then I need the dirt. I'm going to carry dirt with me to go back. And, and I'm only going to sacrifice to the God of Israel and I'm going to share the gospel with everyone. And that dirt was an image of this is the place where God rules and reigns, and this is the people of God, and I'm going to take this dirt with me, and I'm only going to worship and sacrifice to the one true God. And, and he even says, forgive me as I go into the temple with the king as he worships these false gods. Without obnoxiousness and without pride and without condescension, but without cowardice, he says, I'm going to be out there, but I'm going to be letting them know who the real God is. Do you know what's so interesting? The last verse is no compromise. He says, I'm going to try and love my country, honor my God, and if they won't have me, so be it. Because I will never ever sacrifice to another God but the God of Israel. He's saying, look, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Kentucky, wherever I am, whatever place, in my workplace, in my family's home, they're going to reject me for sure. And we've woken up to that reality. As many of you have got emails from workplaces or families have emailed you telling you, hey, whatever your belief is, whatever you want to do, this is how we're doing it. And you're like, man, that's going to be tough. I don't know if I'm going to continue working. I don't know how family relations are going to be. And he name is saying, look, I'm following Jesus now. And I'm going to share the gospel with them. No matter how humble to even breathe that you're a Christian, it's going to be hard as it was for him. They may throw you out. But don't you see the marks of a converted person? My mind is awakened. I gladly submit all I have and all I am totally to God's will. And now I insist that I live every dimension of my life and that it would be consistent with who Jesus is. So we see the example, while subtle it may be of the slave girl, we need to be like the slave girl that introduced Naaman, which... For those of you that are a little like, hey, I don't know about church. I don't know if I'm going to come back next week. This is our aim. Jesus says to his disciples, they will know you're my disciples. They will know you're a humble servant committed to following me if you have love for one another. That's it. So, so what does that mean for you? Are you known by your family, coworkers, your kids? They'll, you can't fool kids. Do they know you by your love you have for one another? Do they see that? Do they see your schedule and they go, dude, my dad loves Jesus because look at how he loves them. Here's the most revealing and just mind-boggling because I, to be honest, full confession, seminary, master's degree, we're reading a Jesus storybook Bible and my son when he was like two was like, I want to read about Naaman. I was like, what? Naaman? <laughs> Sounds like a cool, that could probably you know meet the criteria of a Bible story, but I don't think it's in there. Like Jenna, how do we tell him it's not in there? I don't know if he like Disney Channel, like where he saw that. And sure enough, it's right there and it's all colored and torn up. And we're like, oh, we've been, I've just been missing it. I didn't know it was there. And it's cool. Naaman gets, you know, leprosy healed. But go back to the beginning, the slave girl. Naaman went back to live in Syria as following Jesus and not other gods. He came back to serve and not be served. He brought the dirt of Israel with him to say, I'm bringing the grace of God and the power of the gospel, this God, to the whole world. 
And in contrast to the slave girl saying, hey, if my master could just meet in Samaria with a prophet, he'd be healed. The intern, the servant of Elisha, Gehazi, he didn't respond the same way. The slave girl reached Naaman. Humanly speaking, the chances of a man like that, the greatest military leaders in the world at the time in a pagan country, finding God, that's not going to happen unless God put a slave girl there to share with him. Here's what's interesting. Do you know what she did? Do you know what it cost her? It cost her the price of usefulness, which is, that's, as I grow, that's still a cost for me to be useful and not just be a turd or not to be selfish or prideful and to go, you know, I'm going to be useful and, and hey, I know, wife, you got 10 things going on and I have my five, but I'm going to put your 10 as a priority. How can I be useful? And, and for my son to throw a little frisbee thing around, it's like, hey, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to be useful to you. What are we doing? And she paid that price, definitely more than, than it cost me. And in contrast to the other servant, Gehazi, the little girl's in this horrible position. For sure, her family, her mom and dad were killed by the Syrians, so blood is on Naaman's hands for this. And he took her in utter servitude, loneliness, complete ruin. And do you know why she did it? She, she told Naaman that because she wanted to be useful. In contrast to Gehazi, the little girl was in this position. She had her parents killed. And Gehazi was a servant of Elisha. So if anyone's going to do anything great for God, Elijah, this powerful prophet, had an intern, Elisha. When Elijah went up, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And he got it. He got the cloak and he continued to do these amazing things. And who's his intern? Gehazi, he's going to do great things for God. Gehazi, he's coming up. He's the brightest, the best. He's going to take over for Elisha. But in his heart, it was different than Elisha's heart because Elisha refused to take Naaman's money, not because he was better, but because God had taken the desire of this world out and now he desired for the people of the world to be saved, not the material things of the world to satisfy Elisha. You notice what he says to Gehazi at the end. He says, this is not the time for this. He's a pagan. He's a new believer. He thinks that you pay for these blessings of God. You can't pay for God's blessing. He was used to religion where you paid to be saved. He's saying, no, there's a time for giving when he grows as a believer. Right now, we care about his soul. We don't care about his money. We do not have a God who needs anything from you. The gospel is different than any other religion. The true God is different than any other false God. So he refused to take the money. But Gehazi goes running after him. And Gehazi does, he says, whoa, 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 hey, the guys showed up. Can we get a talent and some clothes? And Naaman's like, oh, sure, I'm, I'm in your servitude. Here, here's two talents, here's clothes. How could a man who has been in training for years to be a man of God do that? I'll tell you why. His heart, leprosy was in his heart. He'd been dreaming about being like Naaman. His Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all the people he followed were Naaman's. Living the high life in the world, jet setting across the world, elaborate vacations, all the money, all the golf courses, all the parties, all the girls. He's like, ha ha, Naaman, my hero. So of course he runs after him. And Gehazi finally gets in front of Naaman, falls into that temptation. And you think, well, how cruel of God. God says, now you have leprosy. You and your whole family 
have leprosy forever. When you see the wisdom and the justice of God, though, we see this judgment. Gehazi wanted to be Naaman. So God said, okay, your will be done. You want to be Naaman? Here you go. He has leprosy. The physical, but also the internal that's always been there. In contrast, the slave girl, the little girl had the same temptation. There she was on her, on her cot, crying herself to sleep, night after night. The temptations were there. She wants justice as the world could give. She wants revenge like the world could give because she's praying for her father and mom to come back and they're not coming back. And so she wants the judgment. And so she says, Lord, I want justice, but you're my judge and you're enough. I want a father, but you're my father and you're enough. You say, how do you know that she said that? Because look at what she says. She's totally forgiven Naaman. She knows he's a sinner, living like a sinner, and doing what sinful people do as the military leader. So Naaman was the leader of all the military operations. And look what she says. If only my master would go to the prophet. There's love in her voice. She doesn't want ruin for him. She wants blessing. If only my master will go to the prophet, he'll be healed. If only my master. She doesn't say, ha ha, leprosy has struck you down. Haha, ha, the judgment of God's on America, lightning struck and killed people in Washington. She doesn't say that. She's not saying, ah, you should suffer and die, you horrible person. She's saying, oh, my master, if you'd go to my people in Samaria, there's a prophet there. This is a young girl. Did she see him heal people from leprosy? But she has faith that he can. God is my judge. She no longer was after father of the world. She said, Lord, if you're only father I get, you're enough. She also was, not was no longer needing or dreaming about the things the world could give, revenge or justice on the world's terms. She let her suffering reveal the things of this world will never be enough. Instead, the suffering allowed her to see the true need that we all have for Jesus to save us. Not from the leprosy on the outside only, but the leprosy on the inside that eats away at the love and wisdom that God desires to give us in our hearts. So you can turn to God as she did, and therefore she became a, this wonderful lover of God and people, and that love is what distinguished her. So when she said, hey, you should go to Samaria, there's a prophet there, they knew her by her love. And so they knew there was no manipulation or lie or deceit in her, but only love and a desire for her master to be saved. She loved her master, and she was known by her love. Are you? And as we spend a minute now in prayer, Jesus saw the cross, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and the shame and the pain to give us a new life. And so there's nothing God wants from you today. He wants new life for you. And as Jesus came, he was known by his love. People couldn't figure him out. They couldn't control him and so they didn't understand him and they, they disdained him but he was always loving and as we as believers that's our hope and our aim is that we would be his disciples and be marked by his love and our prayers would be desiring the salvation of all who don't know him and all who do know him that we would be loving serving and so as we we pray now I want to give you a minute to just go to him maybe there's moments where you've been like Gehazi still and you've been lingering like last week, like Lot in the world. You've been looking at the things of the world, desiring them too much. 
And there's temptation there. And there, you're like, ah, this is what it's all about. Or maybe it's just the tension in our world that's just gotten you gripped instead of realizing, man, the only hope for this world is Jesus and he's coming back soon. So I'm at peace with how crazy this is. And I can pursue those who are lost that they might be saved in the days and times that are remaining, like the slave girl. So may we be like the slave girl and pray for that, but also reflect where in your life this past week have you been like Gehazi that you need to repent of and let God forgive you from that. And I'll come back up and close this.